Tell me what you see. I see one of my cats sitting next to me on my bed. The other one about to crawl behind my neck. A slew of different paintings on the walls in front of me. And I can smell my roommate cooking something that I'm probably going to eat after we stop recording this podcast. I, I mean, if I smell it, it takes me right back to Soren every time. I sit in this little seat and then it like lifts you up above this giant like half dome screen. And while they do this, they also like push out scents. They push out this like orange smell that is, I, I don't want to say it just smells like shoving an orange in your face. It's, it's very like delicate and perfect. And it really is just like this magical thing that I always try to find candles that smell like it and it's few and far between and i had a best friend my childhood is associated with him and his family smelling so now as an adult walking into their home i truly am assaulted by memories of childhood in every single way of like being the most youthful and alive no worries and watching degrassi welcome to what builds us a podcast that explores the ways the built environment affects our emotions experiences and day-to-day lives i'm sean And I'm Brian, and for the second episode of this season, we're talking all about smell. Now, Mm. I know that sounds a little weird. I certainly don't know almost anything about smell. I know what I like to smell. Lavender and wood and trees and stuff. Claire always makes fun of me because I always think stuff that smells nice just smells of lavender so i can't actually even say i know what lavender smells like but <laughs> oh that it, oh, that's yeah, lavender. oh it's always lavender oh flowers it's always lavender um <laughs> it's also smell isn't something that jumps to mind to me when i think about space it's certainly i, I can't say i've ever designed a space for smell i i can't say i have a lot of i you know i know the smell of a lot of famous buildings or famous places but when you really jump into it, it actually is quite important. Yeah, and I think it's something that's one of those really unconscious factors when we're experiencing a place because it's so constant and it's not something that we can turn on and off, right? Like it's something that just enters us in a weird way and affects how we're experiencing and feeling in a space, whether it's good or bad or healthy or unhealthy or... Your nose is always sniffing. (laughs) We're always sniffing whether or not we want to. (laughs) Exactly. I feel like it's so common to not really think about architecture, which is kind of the goal of what we're doing, right? Is to get people and ourselves to think more actively about architecture than we normally do. Rarely when we think about architecture, we think about how it smells. I don't even really know where to begin that conversation. I totally agree. I It's, it's hard to jump into, and maybe the best way would be through some sort of personal memories. Like for me, I, I have some very strong, when I think about it, I have some very strong memories associated with smell. Like, I, I bet I could pick out the smell of, like, the restaurants near my house as I walk home. Um, I could definitely tell you, you know, the, the kind of sleepy mornings I've had walking across uh, Four Point Channel into work where this, the smell of salt, like, kind of low-tide, oceany salt, has been really strong. And really, I can picture that kind of clear, bright morning in my mind. 
Yeah, I feel like ocean is something that a lot of people, because it's so potent, it's something that really dictates like a lot of people's memories, especially if you grew up anywhere near coast. I think something for me, which is very site-specific to Boston, uh, the classic Alston Regina Pizzeria, that's, that's going to be oh, taken so away. Oh, so strong. <laughs> I like, it's so strong. It's so strong. And I've never even gone, but I associate the entire area of Alston with Regina Pizzeria, and I've only ever, if you're even near it, you can smell the pizza. I've never had a slice there. I don't think I've been, you know, within 10 yards of the front door, and I know exactly the smell that you're talking about. And like all these kind of memories, it brings to mind a bunch of, it sort of ties you into other memories of that place and other feelings about kind of that neighborhood or or the times you've had there just through that very specific Regina Pizzeria scent yeah and i think you know memory is something that's so important in the ways that we see our current environments and understand our current situations and smell is one of those really potent things that triggers those old memories it's you know experts like wine connoisseurs like so so much of that expertise comes from understanding smell you, you had something funny story about me smelling my roommates oh, when I miss them? Oh, cute. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when my roommates, they'll like go on trips. And we've lived together for so long. Um, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> They go away for a while sometimes, and when it's happened, I will go in their room sometime. I'll just like go in and stand and like smell them, and I'm like, they'll be home soon. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. No, again, like you said, it's like, I have no idea what the smell is. I'm really not good at that. I used to date somebody who would do that thing where they waft their hand over a pot of soup and be like, this is what it needs. And I'm like, that's so beyond me. Yeah, so like you couldn't make up their smell in its constituent parts, but just the whole of it is strongly tied to the idea of them. You know, in the practice of architecture too, a lot of the discussions revolve around feeling and sight and scale and touch, even texture, materiality. Rarely in a design process are we ever talking about smell. Yeah, and I think when it is, it's it's often in a in like an art sense or kind of installation sense. You know, uh, more of a kind of novelty thing. So some examples that come to mind are um, Swiss architects Herzog and de Muron did a pavilion and. They made the whole thing with cork and there was lots of reasons like sean mentioned for touch and but also there's a sense of smell associated when another is a you know famous new york architects diller scafidio and renfro designed an exhibition like sean mentioned earlier all about wine all about wafting and smelling wine how you know the things about wine so they designed a sort of architectural component that enabled you to smell that was all about bringing you in to smell but like i said these aren't these aren't things we we think about for a whole building. It's it's kind of a novelty item. So in the making of this episode, you know, we know that you and I have studied architecture. Uh, it is our thing, but I wouldn't say that we are necessarily experts in smell. And so when we were planning and scoping out this episode, we were diving into like all these different fields and possibilities of how smell is involved in space. And it's bizarrely tricky 
it's definitely tricky and we're certainly not experts. So we were looking around and we stumbled upon these really beautiful abstractions of smell called smell maps, which really caught our eye. And so we wanted to talk to the woman behind them. My name is Kate McLean. Yeah, so Kate has been kind of all over the place, which is wildly impressive, right? So she is a British artist and designer, initially got her fine arts degree in the south of UK, got really interested in communication, moved to Boston for a stint to study graphic design, moved to Scotland, got an MFA in graphic design, and really everything led her to wanting to make graphic design more tangible. And right now she's based in the UK, which is where we Skyped her in from for this interview, which you can tell from the quality of this recording, but we're gonna take her back to Edinburgh, which is really where this idea bloomed. Um, suddenly we had a, an exhibition call that basically said in 10 days time, you're going to be showing something and you're going to get feedback from the audience. What are you going to show? And I just turned around and said, I'm going to make a smell map. And they said, oh, good, a smell map of Edinburgh. And I went, mm, no, so I'm going to do a smell map of Paris. And it started from visiting the city, going back to the places that I knew that I used to live, talking to people there. And I created my first ever smell map, which was, I think, about... 14 different smells that were placed on a board for people to come and sniff. And that's where smell mapping started. So this initial exploration of smell, it's so interesting to me because by having people truly sniff a captured smell, you know, stick their nose in it, and then recording their reactions, the memory it brings up, it just exposes that truth that we were talking about earlier, that smell is so tied to memory, memory is so tied to place. It makes that all so clear through just a really simple, you know, a smell in a bag. It, the first iteration was definitely something that was meant to be sniffed. I kept reading that smell was related to memory, and I thought, well, if you've got memory, then it may be place-related as well. So as they sniffed, I was asking them to write down their details about location and emotion. I was absolutely amazed at the results because instead of people associating what I knew was the smell of Paris or had been found in Paris with, say, oh, it's coffee, that reminds me of Rio de Janeiro. Instead, what happened, it was much more localised and it was much more personal. Mm. And it was phenomenally beautiful because the smell of sort of like Gourmet cigarettes I had that captured it was in a tiny container was in a on black velvet and I'd had a friend smoke chain smoke Gourmet cigarettes into a plastic bag with the fabric <laughs> in it to create the smell and I replaced the fabric every day and somebody wrote it smells like a railway platform it's late at night the person several yards away from me is smoking their last cigarette of the day. And I suddenly realised that this whole idea of location wasn't just about a place name. It was actually far more evocative. And at that point, it was all very confusing. But I kind of knew that it was something that I wanted to continue working with. There's a lot of 
myth around smell and that you need to be a specialist in order to be able to smell things. So actually, actually you don't. You can, if you've got the context for it, you're much more likely to be able to sniff things. So perfumers and wine experts will try to identify based on a database that they've built up inside their heads of things that they're familiar with. Whereas in a day-to-day -day basis, all of us have the capacity to be able to describe a smell. It's just that we don't do it very often. And mm. so there's these sort of like interwoven connections of sort of like personal agency, about belief in yourself, about something incredibly fundamental to life and existence that we take for granted and a beauty and the idea of context in it relating to the environment that just really touched me. So Kate is really trying to achieve a similar thing that you and I try to achieve in our conversations, Brian. You don't need to be an expert in architecture to know how to talk about it. And you don't need to be an expert in smell to know how to smell right? To know how to sniff. <laughs> you really don't. And born of this first project, she's developed these smell walking toolkits to kind of help people embrace that autonomy and that personal agency of, of mapping their own smells. And that's all the practice of engaging more with your environment. Totally. It's, a, it's opening up what could be seen as sort of an expert field, especially Kate's works at university. She's a doctor. She's super smart. But she's she wants us to be open to everybody. Everybody's got a nose. Everybody can understand the space around them. And so she's developed this, like you mentioned, this really clear, accessible toolkit to to learn about some smells. It's quite abstract and esoteric as it as it sounds, but then actually it's incredibly grounded and really simple to actually do. So what I do is I, there's a toolkit, absolutely, and it has two main strategies and a system of recording smells. So the first strategy for going out and exploring a smellscape is to think about smell but as something that is quite distal, so it's quite large. Smell can travel large distances. You've got a brewery making gallons and gallons of beer somewhere and the wind's blowing a certain direction. You will smell that brewery from several miles away. So smell's got this astonishing capacity to ride wind currents and airflows. So you start with that and you just, what are you going to do for this period of time? 10 minutes, I want you to walk, I want you to breathe. And then if a smell passes your nose, I want you to sniff it in. And it's called smell catching. So it's like butterfly catching. It's like those guys that suddenly lunge for things with a sort of like small net. You're basically lunging with getting airflow up your nose because if you sniff, the volume of air that comes into your nostrils doubles your chances of getting those olfactory molecules into yeah. the olfactory epithelium. So you're basically, you're doubling that opportunity to be able to go, oh my God, there's a smell there. So you're walking along nicely, gently, you're breathing normally. A little smell wafts past you, you suddenly go, I know what to do here. <laughs> and you breathe in super deeply and then you go, all right, now get the smell note out. I'm gonna to have to give that smell a name. And then you record how intense you think it is on a scale of one to seven. And you record how long you think it lasts. Was it something that was fleeting? 
or was it something that you're basically immersed in? And that's the hedonic toolkit. You can look at hedonic tone. Do you like it or not? Do you have associations with that smell from somewhere else? And that's where these narratives start to come in. So smell catching is one strategy. And then smell hunting is the second strategy. And that's where you're dealing with proximal smells. You're dealing with the stuff that's really close up. So what you do there is you use your other senses to identify things that might smell interesting. So you're walking down downtown area of Boston and you see some restaurants and you go, all right, I know that if the door opens to one of those restaurants, it's going to be really interesting. You might see something really beautiful on the ground because smells will all sink to the ground. And you go, visually, that's attracting me. I'm going to go and smell it. And so you write down the same type of information, the name of the smell, the intensity, and you've got two different strategies for getting close into smells like all animals do in order to be able to detect them. And that brings a whole idea of spatiality to people as well. It's, it, it's astonishing, it's a sort of like a life-changing experience going on a smell walk. As soon as you know how to do it, then it, that day you go, oh yeah, that was really interesting. And the next day you suddenly find yourself going, hmm, oh, I'm going to do purposeful smelling. I'm right. going to actually find out about my environment for a couple of minutes with a smell. And other questions come into play about, do I expect this smell here? What happens if I walk into a fish market and it doesn't smell like fish? It smells this astonishing sense that qualifies a lot of things. It, it, it sort of like lends a, a second opinion. So you might look at your milk, but you'll sniff it to see if it's good to drink or not. It alerts you to change. So you might go, okay, I'm moving into a different environment because my sense of smell has told me now I need to pay heed to this because I'm somewhere new. But if it's no danger, then you forget about that smell because the smell's done its job of telling you that you're somewhere else. These tools that Kate lays out are so unique because they ask you to navigate the city you know, via your nose. It's certainly not, not a way I've ever walked around either a city that I know well or, or a city I've never been to, to really to see where the smells guide you and what associations they have and then to, to move from there all all because of your nose. Yeah, I think it's such a unique engagement. And like she said, it's it's so simple and you feel kind of crazy. Like, why don't we thoughtfully engage with it? And like how much our experience differ if we did, if we just thought about it a bit more. It is that that's a good point. That is the thing I also that makes it really powerful is that it is so simple. It's not complicated. Kate just explained it in a couple minutes. It's in this case, it's the power of the voluntary constraint. When you when you give yourself sort of framework to to guide your experience to guide your way of thinking, it leads to different results. What I find so fascinating about smell is truly just how almost grossly intimate it is like it is the most i would argue underrated sense even though you know i love smell you love smell like people can understand that they love smells but we don't really know anything about it and what's actually happening is you are consuming something it is like entering you through your nose setting up base camp and your experience of something is internal 
which is what the smell is. Like, that's wild to me. I certainly never day to day think about smells as internal, like you said, as a as an ingestion, uh, you know, say unlike food, which of course you think, oh yeah, I'm eating food. But the smell is going up your nose. That's a, there's a thing in there. It's not, it's not divorced from you. It's not external from you. It's a, yeah, it's an, it's an intimate sense, much more intimate than sight or, or sound. You know what else it makes me think of too is, <laughs> this is kind of ridiculous, but some of the best, some of the best advice I've gotten in my uh, formative years has been when one is taking a tequila shot to block your nose because it makes it easier, and that changed the game honestly. And I'm really bad at taking shots. Uh, or you could just get better tequila, there, friend. That's the answer. Or- but <laughs> like, blocking the nose, it also does work. It's true. <laughs> Think about the fact that with smell, you are basically ingesting what you are smelling. Right. Going inside you. So those olfactory molecules, if you're smelling dog shit, yes, you really are ingesting a part of that as well. And it's a really, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy funky thought because it becomes sort of like really, it seems unhygienic, but then you think about all the amazing, beautiful things that you're ingesting at the same time. And right. It's, you're only taking the olfactory molecules, you're not taking all the, sort of like the bacterium from it, so it's only a part of it. Yeah. And it's just this, it is this sort of like, it's, it's a different way of understanding the world, you're thinking large scale and small scale at the same time. Yeah, it's much more intimate. Another thing that really grabbed us about these smell maps is that they turn this ephemeral sense, you know, something wafting by you, something you walk by, like we talked about, something that could be so dependent on the time of day, the season. They turn these ephemeral experiences into something more concrete, right? They, they sort of capture this moment in time, their record. And Kate definitely thinks a lot about that and, and I think is one of the reasons she calls them a map. Yeah, I mean, it's always been a bit of um, a contentious issue with smell because, like, how do you create a static map that shows movement? I tried to allude to the idea of movement through that sort of, like, meteorological symbolism of of things that actually appear to be shifting and moving, so that idea of the shapes moving around, using the contour lines in the same way as a direct interpretation from weather maps and sort of, like, isobars. And it's very deliberately done to say, look, this is what's happening here. This indicates movement. And I usually try to keep the source of the smell as static in one place. So you should be able to see where that smell is likely to have moved to because the wind will be carrying it. But the the other part of it is that ephemerality is that the smell maps become like impressionist paintings. They're only a moment in time. Mm. They are very much, here's what it was at this moment or over this short period through this number of people. And then as a result of it, every smell map is only a call to individuals to go out and experience for themselves because there is no way that a smell map can tell you what you will find. It can tell you what was there. It's a recording, but it's absolutely a call to action to disagree with what's there, to go out and to experience mm-hmm. yourself. 
And that to me is sort of like, that's the fundamental tenet underneath underpinning my work. Trust yourself. You know, I know that this is a podcast and, and, you know, the people are just listening, but I cannot encourage you enough to either look up these smell maps or check out our Instagram to do so. They're really abstract. It's not a typical map that, you know, you go to picture when you think of a space. Um, The closest thing that they can kind of look like is a unique topography map. And what Kate is doing with the maps is noting and naming the place where the smell starts and abstracting where it's being pulled. The movement of these maps comes from these uncontrollable forces that are really pushing these smells around, right? Like how far smell can carry is a big part of the maps, not just where the smell was smelled. Because Kate's such an expert in graphic design, they're really clear. I think they're very easy to understand. And they do, you look at them and they look like maps, but they just don't look like a map that you've ever seen before. And Sean's totally right. they really try to describe this way that smell moves around and and the way that different smells might run into each other, they might cancel each other out. Kate will often also note maybe landmarks, give you a key to try to to try to have you understand where these smells are coming from. But on the whole they're they look sort of like art, sort of like infographics, sort of like map. They combine all these these things together really amazingly. I honestly want a poster. Does she make posters? If she if she did, I would get one. I would get one. They're so unique and cool and they ride this line of like abstract, artistic, colorful, unique, but also clear, just like you said. Like it's very clear. You can tell it's a map, you can tell that there's nodes, a path, and all that. It's it's just wild. I love them. They also do a really amazing job of giving you a sense of a place, even places I've never been to. Kate has a whole series all about Singapore. I, I've never been to Singapore. Yeah. But the, between the sort of uh, empirical data that the maps provide, time of day, location, things like that, and, and just their amazing graphic style, they really they have a, they have a quality and effect about them that makes me think I, I can see more into them than just, this is where the smells are coming from. They get, they're much more experiential than that. I don't know. I feel like the maps are kind of representing cities through almost their wind, right? Which communicates what a city is like through different means, right? It's open spaces, closed spaces, where movement is possible versus where it's not, you know? And so it's just a totally unique way of, of learning a place. What's so interesting about smell for me when we think about even this overall season is how much we don't know about smell. And I think that that's really what drove this episode and why I was so excited to find Kate. There's really not much on it. And that's honestly a product of our Western culture and what we prioritize and what we see as being important, right? And a lot of times smell is put on the back burner. With smell on the back burner, Kate puts it really well. She has this idea of smell as the double invisible. It's something that we don't think about and don't study very much, which makes it invisible in one sense. But also, like, physically, it's invisible. It's both hard to see and is not seen by many. You try and take photographs of smells, and you end up with the photographs of the objects that the smells came from. But very rarely do you actually see a smell. But most of the time, I mean, it's, it's double invisible just because of that 
we don't academically pay attention to it, we don't in real life, but also we don't see it. And what we don't see, we don't tend to believe in the same way. So in a way, what the smell maps do is they, they do render a visibility to the smellscape. This call to action that Kate talks about, it resonates so deeply with me, Sean, I'm sure with you too. It's sort of like our core idea that if you get out and you pay attention, especially as we all hopefully are, are going out into the world some more now, leaving our houses, if, if you go get out, get out into the built environment, get out into some new spaces, as you appreciate them more deeply, one of the ways to do that is to smell, is to sniff. And it's something, certainly something I'm going to take away from this conversation. Yeah, and I think it's so wild, especially especially this past year, right? Being stuck in the same place for so long and now when we re-engage. Thoughtfully activating every one of our senses to understand a new place can be so important to our experience of it, right? This mindful present absorption absorb absorb what am i saying absorption absorption <laughs> absorbing absorption's a word do you know absorption yeah that's a word absorption i've said it too many times i don't like it anymore <laughs> i'll go with it when we go out and we and we absorb shit a place <laughs> <laughs> absorb absorb shit all up in your nose <laughs> When we absorb shit all up in our nose. <laughs> As we go out, we are absorbing new places. It's also kind of crazy to me how much new places can trigger these really old places in our minds. You know, like I'm, there's been times where I go into a new place and, you know, my grandmother died when I was really young. I don't remember much about her or her home, but I went somewhere recently and it smelled exactly like her. And I, again, don't know what that is or how to name it, but it did. And I didn't even know I had that memory and somehow it came back. Yeah, it's it's deep in your brain. That that sense is so strong and it, it really grounds that that memory. And I'm I'm curious, Sean, when you when you smelled that smell, did it trigger other sensory memories? Like did it trigger, you know, things you saw at her house, things you would, you know, touch at her house. Was it tied to other senses too? Yeah, honestly, what's crazy is um, a sense that we haven't talked about yet, which is touch. My childhood brain, I don't know why, but she had this brown shag carpet and I used to sleep over. And I remember running my hands through the shag carpet and I remember specifically taking scissors to the carpet and trimming it. Because I thought it was hair and it would grow back somehow. But I loved giving the carpet a trim. You are a menace. I have this really text, like textual. Te textural. I have a really textural memory of this house and her house and my experience of being there. It's like this calm, dimly lit, warm place that I would run my hands through this carpet. And it's so powerful. And, and really, that's Kate's one of Kate's biggest insights is that that smell unlocked that much larger memory, even when it was totally divorced from, from where you came from. It's not like you were back in her house and smelled it. Just just that little whiff of it really opens the floodgates for all these all these memories and, and it happens to all of us as as long as we're we're tuned into it.
Yeah, it was it was so lovely to talk to Kate. I think we totally vibed on our sort of poetic uh, uh, appreciation and, and understanding of space. And it was just, it was nice to talk. And, and I've been smelling up a storm ever since. Thanks again to Dr. Kate McLean for chatting with us. Uh, as as she said, you can see her see her work and and download the toolkit, especially if you're an educator or or really anybody and you want to go on a smell walk of your own. You can find her work at sensorymaps.com and uh, find a link down in the show notes too. This has been so such a joy, so so lovely to to talk to. It's lovely talking to you guys as well, and to see to talk. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you. It really has been great. Poetic. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I'm I'm going to go and smell some ocean now. Take care. Stay safe. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye-bye. What Builds Us is written and produced by us, Chantal Trombley and Brian Sanford. Mixing and editing is done by me, and music is by the Will Gooding. And you can find more music from him at www.thorns-roses.bandcamp.com. And that about wraps it up for episode two. Yeah, that wraps it. I hope you uh, go go forth and uh, smell some stuff. Yeah, engage your nose. Can, wait, Brian, can you do that thing where you, like, flare your nostrils on command? I can't. I can't do any of those fun things. I've always wanted to. Oh, I'm excited for the taste episode, but I always wish I could do that three-leaf clover thing with my tongue. Oh, my God. Me too, Sean. Literally never. I've never been able to. There's nothing exciting going on for us, but no. for all those who can <laughs> flare on command, go forth. Flare it up. <laughs> We will be back uh, next month for episode, shoot, what is episode three? I don't know. I think it should be sound. Sound it is. <laughs> uh, okay, so. I think we just need to say bye is the, it's what's yeah. left. I think bye is what's left to this episode. <laughs> so, oh, oh, what? Like the, like the sound of music. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so we'll be back uh, next next month with episode three, all about sound. Woo! Adieu. I do, I do, I do, I do. I can't speak French, but that's what I, I'm just saying I do. <laughs> oh, all right.